You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. The S&P 500 surges past 4,000, but what does a rising dollar mean for risk assets? For all of this and more, I have the pleasure of being joined by Tyler Neville. Tyler, how are you doing? Jack, I'm doing great, man. A little uh, tired. Got two kids under three years old now, so I get no sleep. But uh, besides that, I'm pretty good. Well, we're glad that you can join us. Uh, to, Tyler, today was a little bit of a momentous event. Uh, the S&P 500 surging past 4,000. Obviously, on a fundamentals level, that means nothing, but it's quite a psychological barrier, no? Yeah, I think it is. I think we're seeing a giant rotation um, underneath to you know, basically old school, slower growth value companies, even though you still see the fangs at the top of the, the pyramid of, of SPY too. But you know, below the surface, I think you're, you're seeing a massive rotation into kind of the old value companies. Um, as well. And, and in tech, we're kind of seeing a little short squeeze here, I think. I think that's what's happening. And that's probably uh, going to roll over in the next week or two. Tell me about that short squeeze, Tyler, because I've heard a couple people, uh, including Weston Nakamura and then Carson Block on today's Real Vision Live saying that because it's so hostile right now to short individual stocks because of Wall Street bets, retail, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, that long short funds have gone to shorting the indices. So when they when their longs blow up, then they they have to have short squeezes. They have to have a margin call on their indices. So that you know we have seen the Nasdaq just roar uh, this week. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think uh, interest rates. You know, the ten year yield popped to one point seven five, right? And now we've seen a consolidation in in some of those yields lower, which has called caused basically a snapback in in the tech weakness that we saw. The weeks previous to that. So, but I, I think this is all a head fake. You know, we're seeing the dollar rise today, the dollar's falling. I think that's going to continue happening over the next couple of weeks. We've seen really, really stretched things in the FX market that I think are going to lead the next big leg up in this inflation narrative. You think the dollar is going to go down? Correct. Okay, let, let's get into that because I, yeah. you know, we, let's, um, Let's talk about what are you, what are, how are you seeing the various positioning in the FX markets up against you know the euro the the uh, Japanese yen what what are you seeing there? Yep. So before I go into this, I'm going to bet Travis, who is your president at at Real Vision, who's a super strong dollar bull, a bottle of his finest uh, whiskey or wine on me if the dollar keeps rising. Uh, I after this uh, these next three charts, I I hope he takes me up on it. But here we go. Uh, well, let's first take a look at the Japanese yen. So the yen made a, a monster move over the past like two months, something that like we haven't seen in, in a long time. And it's now sitting at an 80 RSI, which is kind of out there, right? I, I assume that the yen weakened so, so much and we're going to see a snapback uh, stronger in the yen here, which will lead to a dollar sell-off. Now, that's not the only thing. If you look at the Chinese yuan, that's sitting at about a 70 RSI, which is, you know, 
up there. And too. hey, Tyler, Tyler sorry, sorry to interrupt. Um, what is an RSI? Because you know, if you want to make a credit default swap chart, uh, I'm your guy. But when it comes to technical, I'm really a, a noob. So please enlighten me and the audience. What is RSI? What does it mean? It's just a relative strength index, what it's doing versus the rest of the basket of currencies. So when it gets to extreme levels, like above 70 or below 30, generally it's a sign of, you know, stretched, it's overbought or oversold. And, so, and we're seeing that- in, So sorry, in, the USD CNY, that, that would mean that the uh, uh, dollar is overbought. That means the dollar is overbought in this case, yeah. So the, the yuan is weakening, the yen is weakening, and the euro is weakening as well. So if you look at the euro chart now, the euro, this is this is flipped because the euro is actually stronger, but the euro is actually sitting below 40 on the RSI, and we should potentially see the euro snap back, strength a little bit, and cause the dollar to weaken as well. So that's a trifecta of like three of the biggest trading partners we have, um, which have weakened massively and caused this dollar strength the past I don't know, two or three weeks. Now I think that's going to all reverse pretty sharply here. Uh, let's get into that. Tyler, uh, the, the Euro USD chart, I should say, as you say, when that declines, that actually indicates uh, uh, excuse me, dollar strength because it's how many dollars per, per, per one euro. So it's, it's, it's flipped. Um, so the fact that the Euro, the Chinese Yuan, the Japanese Yen have all weakened uh, relative to the dollar over the past few months uh, what does that mean to you in terms of the reflation trade? And why do you think that this you know, period of dollar strength is long in the tooth? Um, basically because of all the RSIs. I think they're all doing the same thing at the same time. You know, the ECB was, was printing some lots of dough. Same with um, the BOJ. They, they're capping rates again. Um, and China, I think there's some property stress there that's causing them to to weaken the currency if you look at the second tier cities there's some credit stress going on so um i think they're trying to weaken their currencies all at the same time now if if this keeps going on it's something we should keep our 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 eyes on right you have turkey who had a major um credit problem you have china credit stress you have archegos uh blowing up these are the beginning signs of kind of some some problems in the system but you know amaranth blew up in 2006 and we didn't see the subprime crisis till 2008 so like these things kind of take a long time to play out the credit problems um i just think this time it's just a head fake there's some smoke there but there's no fire that's really interesting. Uh, so I, I assume that if the dollar were to rise along with U.S. interest rates, that really would be a wrecking ball for risk assets. But a yeah. weaker dollar, if that were to subside, as you uh, presume, as you look forward, that would what would that mean for risk assets? Probably something a little better, right? Yeah, I think you're going to see the value uh, trade, the growth to value trade basically go on fire. You're going to see energy do well. You're going to see basically anything tied to old school inflation do well. And then the duration bubble of SPACs goes poof. You see Kathy Wood stuff get kind of taken to the woodshed. I think all the super high growthy stuff starts getting priced in when, when the inflation narrative kicks up to the, to the second gear. Hey, Tyler, I, I got something for you that can connect two things to what you just said. Do you know that yeah. uh, there's actually a, a new SPAC that's going to be issued that is trying to have the ticker symbol ARK. 
has nothing to do with Kathy Wood or, or uh, you know, ARC Innovation, really just trying to ride that tailwind. Uh, what do you make of that? Uh, this is mim the mimic trade, the old mimic trade. It's like, uh, I don't know. I feel like Kathy Wood should be able to sue for that. That's, that's pretty, uh, pretty horrible. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that uh, butterfly that has the exact same coating as something that's poisonous. And so it evades the predators, even though it itself is is not poisonous. But uh, moving on, did to you eighth, eighth grade biology? Yeah, there, there we go. There we go. Um, moving on. So uh, there's a glut of bonds going to to market fiscal stimulus. I mean, that's sort of implicit in what you're saying with with the weaker mm -hmm. dollar. Let's move on to the bond market because there's yeah. some really interesting things there. I feel like you know, obviously the the you know yields go up, yields go down. Um, we've consolidated in that range, but there's there's fascinating with the interplay between credit and bonds. So, you know, there's a chart that I, I've, I've got of um, just how the different uh, bond ETFs have performed. Um, the HYG is the uh, high yield junk bond ETF, LQD investment grade ETF. And then TLT is uh, considered of bonds that are treasury bonds that are 20 years and uh, up in terms of duration. So extremely long duration treasury bonds. It's striking how poorly TLT has performed, Tyler, since sort of the high noon uh, in the past summer. Um, and, and, you know, LQD is kind of dragged LQD down with it. HYG has proven more resilient. What do you make of this? I just think it's the corporate bonds and high yield bonds are kind of delayed, right? They're, they're short of duration. Uh, and I, I think a lot of the people that hold them, you know, life insurance companies, um, the holders just hold to maturity in a lot of senses and, and people are forced to allocate there. It's a mandated, you know, sector where you have pension allocations that come in and as taxes, taxes come in, you have to allocate more to bonds. Right. So I think that's been keeping the lid on it, but, you know, longer term, if, if we see, you know, treasury yields really rising and the move index, you know, treasury bond volatility kind of kicking up into high gear, we're going to see LQD and HYG both get, get hit pretty hard. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So I, I feel like a lot of what you're seeing on that chart is interest rate risk because LQD is exposed to interest rates, but as well as credit risk. If, if we move on to the next chart, you'll see that for investment grade uh, US grade credit spreads, they're remarkably low. The, the yeah. past you know, few months have been extremely solid. There's very little insolvency, very you know, extreme credit health. At least that's what the market is saying. So the fact that LQD has performed poorly, that's because of rising yields. It's not because of credit. Uh, what do you make, you know, you've been out outspoken saying that you think credit spreads are going to remain low. And obviously the equity market really hinges on that. Uh, so, so what's your outlook going forward? I think it's going to change gradually. Like once this next big fiscal push comes in, I think yields, treasury yields make, make another rise higher. And then they'll probably have to go to yield curve control. Um, and, and then we'll kind of see spreads blow out a bit at that point. But, you know, everything, what's crazy is what's happening, even the high yield market, they had their best quarter of issuance, I think ever for the first quarter in the high yield market in the face of all this. 
which is, it's just nuts. And buybacks are kind of kicking into higher gear. So, so that whole buyback scenario is still happening under the surface. But if we get another big move in, in the inflation narrative, which everyone thinks is dead all of a sudden, I think you're going to see another, you know, a, a little, a little credit event um, kind of tighten up. Tyler, you say it's nuts for there to be a record quarter of junk bond issuance at this time of rising yields. But to me, it actually makes sense because junk bonds are, they prove resilient. They have the least interest rate exposure, you know, a lot less than liquid, uh, excuse me, LQD or investment grade bonds and TLT. They have maybe a little bit less than those floating rate loans that, uh, you know, everyone talks about, but they actually are, you want to own them. If there's no credit risk and a lot of interest rate risk, you want to own high yield, right? Yeah, relatively speaking, um, and and you also have a, a bulk of high yield is is energy companies, which should theoretically do well in a in a falling dollar scenario. So there there is that. It's probably going to be a relative play versus you know, I guess LQD. Um, but yeah, I, I still still longer term. I don't know what you do with a 60-40 portfolio if you're a baby boomer. Like, what, what, what the heck? Do you just sit in there and get eaten up by the inflation? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand the theory behind it at this point um, with the, the fiscal deficit blowing out, MMT on the horizon. Just what's the point of that whole portfolio at this point? Let's break into that, Tyler. You have a lot of thoughts on the baby boomer portfolio, the 60-40 portfolio, and how that is gradually and gradually being eaten away in terms of the returns that they can get, sort of a, a desert of yield. However, you think that the Fed is determined to protect their 401ks at any cost. How does that play out with that dichotomy? They, the 60-40 portfolio moves to 90-10, and they just own you know lots of stocks, I guess, and but but I, I don't know how that really unwinds, to be completely honest with you. I'm, I just would be, at this age, if I was a boomer holding that stuff, I'd be like, oh, I'm pretty much getting eaten up in inflation in a large part of my uh, portfolio. So, and, and then what happens if they decide to sell? That's the funny thing. It's like, does that cause a credit event? Maybe. But like the, everything's backed by the government at this point. We're not in a free market anymore. So maybe they just like, you know, make it make it whole but i don't know so so tyler if bonds aren't the thing you want to own they you know, they used to be the thing because they were a positive carry put they were negatively correlated to equities and you could get some coupon some yield in the meantime as yields have gone down that convexity has really been ebbed away so some people are talking about alternatives to, to bonds uh you know why if you're getting nothing on your bonds why not just own puts on, on that is the ultimate uh negatively correlated bet why not own own Bitcoin, which I know is something you've got a lot of thoughts on. Yeah. I mean, look, at the smartest people I know are now running long vol funds. Like, you know, Mike Green, Chris Cole, who I know you just, just had on. Uh, Harley Bassman is creating a long, long vol portfolio. So, yeah, I, I think that's underpriced in the longer term. Uh, it's just you, you got to be an expert to play in that, that pen. But what what an easy way to play long vol is, in my opinion, is Bitcoin. Like that's really turning into a long vol asset. And, and here's a tidbit for you: Eric Peters, who runs One River, who just bought, you know, I think it was six hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin, which is now a lot bigger. He ran a uh, convexity fund for years and years and years, and I think he was up like thirty percent when the pandemic hit. Why does a guy who runs a, a convex portfolio 
Why does he buy Bitcoin? That's a question for you. I, I think it's becoming a, it's it's an inflation hedge. It's a, a long vol uh, asset. It, it's a little bit of everything, right? You have, it's all wrapped into one and, and you can buy it and not have these esoteric like hedge funds that you have to invest in. You can just buy Bitcoin. Tyler, talk to me about yield in the Bitcoin world. That's, I think, central to your thesis. Yeah, it's changed a little bit. It's come down. Um, yields have come down as the supply and demand has changed. I think you saw a huge influx of institutional capital for the first quarter come in. Every compliance department got ready and they were like, hey, let's buy some Bitcoin. I'm you know, mass mutual. And that caused a really steep futures curve. And all these basis traders were making like massive, you know, riskless you know, trades. Um, and since then, all those institutions have kind of slowed down. And I think you're going to get the next burst of the institutional money coming in here in the next couple months um, as, you know, Goldman's offering it to their clients. Morgan Stanley's offering it to their clients. Sovereign wealth funds are buying. The, the Norway guys, the billionaire petrodollar recycling guys are now buying it too. So like, I think those yields will stay there as more institutional money comes in. And we're actually at a really interesting point. Bitcoin's at $59,000 right now. It's close to 60, you know, 61 was like the high, I think. And that's happening the exact same time that the CRB index is almost breaking out from like, I think it's like a 30 year downtrend um, with momentum. So- Sorry, Tyler, what is the CRB index? It just mimics, um, you know, just commodities, 19 commodities, energy, ag, um, precious metals. So I, th I think all those things are kind of at this like little turning point. And all you really need is a little dollar boost to get them really, really going. Um, so so that's my that's my play. And, and also, do you want me to go into the Bitcoin supply stuff? Oh, please, Tyler. Oh, well, yeah. That's why, that's why you're here, Tyler. Might as well. All right. So if you look at... Bitcoin on exchanges, right? So back in 2017, when your Joe Schmo friend was buying Bitcoin at Coinbase, they just bought it at Coinbase, they held it at Coinbase, and you can actually track those when people buy it on exchange, right? And when Bitcoin gets taken off exchange, that means it going into cold storage, which essentially, to me, this, this chart signals more institutional money is coming in. They don't want the, the custody risk of holding it at Coinbase. They're going to hold it at some safer place, right? They're holding multi-millions of dollars of this stuff. So that, that money is coming, that Bitcoin is coming off the exchanges, going to cold storage. The supply is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And, and that's where I think we, we see the inflation narrative take off again. The supply is tight. And then you see a massive institutional influx in this next couple months. So it basically is sticky money. It's basically like they're, they're Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. They're not going to sell. That, that, that's what the index is. It's a HODL index, pretty much. Yeah. And you know what? Anyone, any giant institution like Mass Mutual that's going to buy Bitcoin is not buying it for a trade. You know, <laughs> they're buying it and they're holding it. And, and that's just kind of, that's the psychological switch that no one's getting is like, the more it performs like this, it creates a performance chase. This is like the the JP Morgan, you know, nothing makes you as mad as you see your neighbor getting rich. Like it's kind of the same. This is the same thing as when Goldman Sachs offers $50 billion in credit lines to, to Archegos and then Credit Suisse says, oh shit, 
you're making so much money off of off of these total return swaps. I got to do it too. Oh, it's me, Nomura. I'm going to do it too. And so that's the same sort of thing that's going on in Bitcoin right now. Um, except I, I think this is a longer runway. Tyler, what's your outlook on the other opportunities in the crypto world? Ethereum, the altcoins, DeFi, and uh, NFTs. Um, I think DeFi is super fascinating. I mean, it is it is light years ahead of of legacy banks. I mean, you see these legacy banks. I wrote a note the other night in my newsletter. I basically talked about at old school banks, you have to get compliance to approve you to send out an email to your clients. And in DeFi, you can borrow money. You can lend money in like a snap of a finger. You can get a loan from BlockFi or or any of these DeFi players in two seconds, like if you want. Um, so it's it's just a better built system. And the more money goes in there, the stronger it gets. Uh, I think it's a, I don't know if it's, you know, gonna 10x from here, but the long, 10 years from now, we're all gonna be using that. So that's DeFi. What's your outlook on non-fungible tokens or NFTs? Um, are you a buyer of the Ash Bennington NFT? <laughs> Did he do an NFT? You don't need to know. Yes, Ash Bennington has an NFT of an image of him where it's, he's sort of in the microphone and he looks really buff. And yeah, there's kind of a bidding war. It's kind of a, it's a hot do. commodity. Get in while you can. Tyler. You did some push-ups before that picture. What is it getting bid at? I mean, uh, like two days ago, I saw $30, but it's probably a lot higher than that. Wow, not bad. And Tyler, on the subject of NFTs, I've got something for you. So uh, I believe I saw a Eastern European uh, tennis player she auctioned off a, a portion of her arm, um, so as a tattoo or something, basically a part of her human body uh, as an as an NFT. So, what what do you make of that? You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on in this space. It's kind of the wild west. What's what's your outlook on it? Yeah, I think NFTs at this point, and this is where my old school like legacy finance hat comes on. Is that's just crazy land at this point? I, I think you know, Ralph did an interview with a guy the other day talking about the metaverse where everyone's going to be like plugged in in 15 years that maybe nfts like are really really powerful like you're trading skins in video games right like that that down the line i can see that but right now you know 69 million dollars for a beeple you know thing is kind of just a I, I don't know if that retains its value in the short term i think that's that's kind of the bubblicious sector of of digital assets yeah, it's kind of reminds me, you know, anytime there's a lot of opportunity in a sector, you know, technology in the 1990s, let's say oil in the 1890s or early 1900s, there's just so much money pouring into such a small amount of opportunity that sort of uh, opportunities get created out of thin air. And that's where you oh, have, yeah. you know, despite the fact that it was a good idea to invest in oil in the 1890s, but you, you could have lost your shirt investing in uh, some guy at you shouldn't have trust. Oh, I, Tyler, I know what I want to ask you about. BitCloud. I, I don't know that much about BitCloud, to be honest, but I think the the concept behind it holds a lot of weight eventually, once everyone's on the system. Yeah, I mean, so they're backed by some of the best funds on the planet. Like, I think, you know, Founders Fund, uh, Andreessen, weren't they all in it? I don't know, Tyler. But I, I just saw some video on Twitter of some guy saying, you know, what's great about BitCloud, Tyler? is that let's say Elon Musk succeeds in getting to the moon. 
or excuse mm -hmm. me, it succeeds in getting to the Mars. Then uh, the Elon Musk token goes up in value. But let's say he does something that the market doesn't like. I believe actually what he literally said was, let's say Elon Musk uses a racial slur. I'm not saying that that would ever happen, but he said, let's say Elon Musk uses a racial slur. Then uh, the, the token goes down in value. And that, that's great. Tyler, isn't that great? I guess it's like a real-time system of, of human value if you really break it down. But then, you know, I don't know, you get into some real dystopian places at that point. Yeah, uh, definitely. Okay, Tyler, that's been a great sojourn in crypto land. Let's move out of that and move back into the good old-fashioned world of gold. I understand you've got your eye on a certain index, which is correlated with you know gold mining stocks as well as risk assets. What are you seeing in the world in the world of gold, specifically as it relates to you know real yields and all that? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So people hate gold right now. And I think what's happening is you're seeing a lot. You're seeing a little bit of an arb from gold into to Bitcoin, like a $10 trillion asset class into a $1 trillion asset class. And people are like, well, I got, you know, the dearth of supply in Bitcoin. I might as well, you know, reallocate here. That doesn't mean gold is dead by any means. I just think that's part of the reason gold's been pretty weak lately. But here's the, the Holbert Gold Newsletter Sentiment Index. And it's, it's at its lows. You, you just got to buy gold here. It, it's at a, a, the lowest decile prior to 2018. So my read is gold's not dead. Uh, it might not have as much upside as Bitcoin, but here in, in the backdrop where you've had some dollar strength, you've had yen, yuan, euro weakening, um, I think you got to buy gold, at least in the short term, and see what happens. Tyler, I saw on Twitter that Frank Justra, a legend in the gold mining world, he asked Michael Saylor, to a debate on sort of a gold versus Bitcoin debate. So Frank Justra, a legend in the old world of gold, Michael mm -hmm. Saylor, a legend in the emerging world of Bitcoin. A lot of people are saying that, number one, this debate should happen. And number two, if it's going to happen, obviously it should happen on Real Vision. You know, what, what do you make of that? I, I don't have a view, Tyler. I honestly, Saylor kind of nails it for me. I mean, I agree. He, when you listen to him, it's just... It, he's thought about this from 10 different angles. He's thought about it as a CEO. He's thought about it as a portfolio manager. Um, he's thought about it as like a gold miner. So I, I, I think he kind of runs away with that. You know, time, Juicer has time on his side, right? Like thousands of years of value versus 12 of outperforming. So I, I don't know. I think I, I'd take Sailor in that one. I'll take Sailor. Oh yeah, no, I, I wasn't asking. Um, so who, who's what side are you on? I think yeah. you had more not not so much as a debate of antagonists, but sort of a, a you know two two sides with different views and sort of um, combining their views and exchanging different views. I was just wondering if you think it should happen. I mean, you know, maybe people um, in the comments want to know if, if it should happen. I don't know. But 100%. Tyler, yeah, Tyler, I, let, let, let's let's move on. I, we got some we got some something that's really fascinating, a really a real treat for the people at yeah. home. Um, they, they've listened to us. Uh, talk about crypto, crypto a lot. 
So we're going to re reward them. Yeah. Um, you and I were chatting on the phone earlier today, and you said, hey, Jack, uh, pull up your Bloomberg terminal, pull up the who owns GSS TechDoo. This is a stock that was at the epicenter of the Arcados, excuse me, Arcagos uh, liquidation. Yeah. And you look who owns it. Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, UBS, Nomura Holdings, Credit Suisse, all of these big banks. No, um, you know, nowhere there in the, in the top names do you see Arcagos. However, that's because they were using something called a total return swap. So it looks like Goldman Sachs owns it, but all of the economic rights um, and then some are, are transferred to these hedge funds. Um, what did you make of that? And you know, what re reflect on this this past week of this liquidation? So I have a different read here. Uh... Carson Block, first of all, was all over this. You should go watch him. He's incredible. So I'm the poor man's version of this. But what I think this is, is Tiger Asia basically figured out that the floats were manipulatable, manipulatable in a lot of these stocks, right? As passive investment grew, it, it kind of gave the ability of of these hedge funds to kind of corner shares. And in the, they've manufactured gamma squeezes across the market kind of inconspicuously using these total term spots. You can't tell that Bill Huang owned any of this stuff. And it's pretty amazing that Vanguard and State Street are on there too, Canada Pension Plan. So these giant organizations, what happens when you get never ending scale from companies is you end up owning fake companies that are full of shit, right? And you can manufacture value just out of narratives. And that's what comes along with, with free money. And my whole vision of how the world works is, you know, people will scale, 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 scale until it never ends. And, and that ends up in a small float. It happened in 2000. It's happening now. My only worry now is with, with the Fed printing, probably yield curve controlled, down the pipe. And if this turns into like a, you know, hyperinflationary environment and stocks go parabolic, you're going to get gamma squeezes in every stock and it just ruins free markets. Like there should be antitrust for, for Vanguard and BlackRock. I'm sorry. Like spin them off. You, you at some point passive does a disservice because these guys from Tiger will, or not even Tiger, any any hedge fund guy now gets it. If, if you, we watch Melvin get absolutely annihilated by it in GameStop, but it's happening in other stocks across the market. Um, the smaller the float, the more manipulatable, and no one's ever talked about floats before, right? It, which is is just fascinating. And not only that, but then here's the dealer side. So you you have the total return swaps where you can disguise who actually owns it. And then you can go out and you can sell puts. As that vol rises, you can sell puts to, to broker dealers as well and, and essentially keep squeezing the stock, like super out of the money puts, right? And it, it's, it's kind of nuts. Like it's just, it's liquidity. It's what happens at like the extremes of liquidity from all parts of the market. The scary part is what happens when those flows reverse because it's, it's, a highway going in and it's a goat trail going out and and we're at the point and that's partly the reason why i say bitcoin is is probably the healthier ecosystem because you have people from you know all over the world literally all over the world can buy this thing with a phone 
And that when you have a heterogeneous pool of people that are owners in assets, that is very healthy. When you have a homogeneous with the same incentives, that is systemically unhealthy. And that's what we're seeing. This this GSX thing, it's a flat out fraud. Everybody knows it. And they're just, they they physically manufactured like a, I think they were like $30 billion. They're bigger than Wirecard at, at one point. And all the users are fake. 90% of the revenue is fake. It's a microcosm of what this market will turn into if they just, the Fed keeps the pedal to the metal, like forever. So what is value? I don't know. What's debt at this point? What is money? Tyler, what a way to end the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We're going to have to leave it there, but way to, to end the daily briefing on a, on a really uh, strong note. Tyler, where can people find you? Where do you work? What's your Twitter handle? Yeah, find me at uh, Blockworks. I write a nightly newsletter, daily newsletter. Uh, try to share thoughts like this. And um, yeah, we're, uh, we're fond fans of Real Vision as well. Obviously, I respect you guys and, and learned a lot uh, working there and I, I love it. So uh, yeah, really enjoyed this, Jack. Happy to come on whenever you need me. Absolutely. So you know that's where you can find Tyler. And if you're watching this on the Real Vision Daily Briefing YouTube channel, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And by the way, if yesterday you hit the like button, you hit the subscribe button, you thought that you did everything. No, no, no. You got to hit the you got to hit the bell so you get notifications as well. All right, folks. Thanks. Have a good one. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.